Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Now, we're going to get into some things. I'm going to invite up Eric Johnson, who is uh, going to be preaching today. Also the best dressed man in Pasadena on the regular. So... And apparently, I dress today to camouflage into the background. People are, are sending me pictures. Uh, if, if my face wasn't here, you wouldn't even know that I was here. So that's, that's incredible. Um, man, how are we going to do this? Okay, I know how we're going to do this. Something I so believe in for our community is, and I say it all the time at New Abbey, uh, that the least interesting thing to me that I hear people when they talk about a church is who's the pastor, how big is the thing, what's the music like? I always want to know, tell me about your people, tell me their stories, tell me how you celebrate people, tell me what justice is like, tell me what your reconciliation is like, tell me how you give grace in this world, how you feed the hungry. That tells me about a church. And so we work really, really hard every week at celebrating each other's stories, that we create conversation time, we do meet an interesting person. Uh, I'm so grateful for the diversity of our staff and the narratives that are here, um, because we all need to hear God's voice in different ways. And something that I believe is that I am not the Bible answer man, that it is not my job to have more authority than you because I went to seminary or because I started a thing or because I'm a pastor. I might be entrusted with some things. I believe in what God has given me, and I believe what God has given me is the capacity to empower other people and their voices. And so at New Abbey, it's not about um, just the sermon, or it's not about the music, it's not about communion, it's really about setting up the conversation. And we set up the conversation well uh, because we get to hear from a diversity of people and a diversity of voices. And then hopefully, somewhere in that diverse voice, it models something for you, it changes a posture of something for you. Or maybe you hear a little bit about your own story, and then that frees you and empowers you to tell your story of healing in the world. And so, Eric has uh, an incredible narrative. He's a great communicator. It is an amazing gift uh, that you are a pastor at New Abbey. Um, I've got deep love and appreciation for you. So that, sir, is the setup. And now, <laughs> take it from here. Oh, oh man. Um, see, and this is the worst place in the world for me to be on stage with no Kleenex on my wife. Um, I'm, I'm, whew, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for your story. Ah. Everything God seems to be wanting to get us to focus on our, our brokenness and the things that have brought us shame and the things that have plunged us into darkness and the possibility and the hope that we could be free from fear. So, um, just before we go into our question, um, let's, let's talk just for a moment about this kid. All right. Now, see, when I, I look at that beautiful boy now, and there's no doubt in my heart how beautiful that boy is. But that kid was getting the crap beat out of him by his father. Um, and because his father was a law enforcement officer, um, 
his partners were not going to do anything about that. Um, head and shoulders, knees and toes? Knees and toes. Wait, 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 okay. All right. Um, that kid was in desperate need of some hope and the ability um, to see that there would be a better day. Um, so, with that in mind, um, we're going to send you into uh, your breakout rooms, not with the question of why is this guy up here in his, in his pajamas, but, but a different question entirely. Uh, so, uh, take some time and, and talk about this. Where in your life right now do you need courage in your life? We'll be back in a moment. I hope you had some wonderful, courageous conversations. Um, and so we're going to get a little bit into my story as we also get into David's story and the passage of Scripture that saved my life, Psalm 27. Uh, in order to get there, though, let me show you this. This is an original, a Fantastic Four, number 52, signed by Stan Lee. It's the first appearance of Black Panther. Yeah, yes, yeah. Now, for anybody who knows about the geek that I am, I have something like 6,000 comic books that, uh, um, yes, I'm very Peter Panish. I'm that little boy who's never grown up. Um, but these things speak to me. Uh, this is the first time that any person uh, growing up, I was six years old when this issue came out, and to see a person of color not only a person of color, the richest, most powerful man in the world and the richest, most powerful kingdom in the world was a kingdom with people of color. So you would think that this would be my most prized possession, but actually it's not. It's close, but it's not. It's this. This is a Bible that was given to me by my grandmother when I was 15 years old. My grandmother, my father's mother, um, and... Like I said, I'm 60 years old, and just this year, I was told for the first time the story of my birth, because there were some, some lies, some darkness, some things, some impressions that I thought about me that helped feed a narrative that I had no value, and then sitting down and actually talking to my mother after my father's funeral, I actually found out some things, and my, my grandmother was my fiercest advocate and the days that I would sit and cry because I believed that I had no value, my grandmother would just put her arms around me, let me know how important that I was. And when she gave me this Bible, she told me, Eric, baby, the answers to everything that you need to know are in the Bible. Anything that you need to know, anything that you want to find out, it's here. And I said, really, Granny? Really, I could find myself in the Bible. I could find out the, the things that I was suffering through, the things that I was dealing with. I could find answers to that here. And she was right. And the very first passage of Scripture, not because I was in Sunday school, not because of, of any uh, requirement or assignment that was given to me, the first time that I ever read the Bible and memorized something because it was a life preserver to save my life was Psalm 27. So let's look at that. In Psalm 27, 
starting with verse 1. It reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's stop right there. Because my life was defined by fear. My dad had three moods. He had a good mood, a bad mood, and a crazy mood. And we never knew when the crazy mood was going to happen because it looked like the good mood. And so my sister and I, when we would come home from school not knowing what mood my father would be in when he would come off of patrol, we would look for hiding places. So we didn't even come home and do our homework. We searched for hiding places where if my dad was in an angry mood or my dad was in a crazy mood, that we would we'd find some space to hide until he went into his bedroom. And then once it, got, it was quiet for a while and we were sure that the coast was clear, then we would come out and work on our homework. But then it was still defined by fear because my dad demanded perfection, that we had to have straight A's. And I remember the year that I had five A's and a B minus and I was beaten because I had a B minus because in our household, a B minus was the same as an F. So you can imagine what life was for me at school. I'd leave the house and I'd get to school and it was, I was away from the punishment and I was away from the torture and I was away from the abuse. And so I was just gabby, 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 talk, 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 talk. And I finally like settled down around third or fourth period. And then somewhere around fifth period, I'm beginning to think I'm getting ready to go home and I don't know what's going to happen. Is my dad going to beat my mother? Is my dad going to be unhappy with me for some reason? Because no matter what I did, I was never good enough. And so throughout my life, it was even when I didn't realize that my life has been defined by fear because I was constantly pushing for perfection. I had to be perfect because I was already flawed because my dad told me I would never amount to anything, that I was an accident, that I was retarded, that I would never be anything. And then because of the time that I lived, I was never enough. I was never black enough. I was always the kid that was viewed to be, uh, uh, because of the, of the abuse, that I was dealing with and a trauma that I was dealing with. I had very severe asthma, so I was constantly being rushed to the hospital for asthma attacks. And every time the doctor would give me an inhaler that was stronger and it would work for a couple of weeks, and then I'd have an even more severe asthma attack because of the stress that I was dealing with. And so I would be in remedial PE, and so I was constantly bullied because of, of my asthma attacks. And I was constantly bullied because in ninth grade, I was only 66 pounds. And because I was so small and because I was so light and so I didn't fit in anywhere and I didn't think I had any value anywhere. And then I was molested. And then I didn't want to live any longer. And so fear was constantly defining me at, to where if anyone was unhappy with me, I would do anything to make them happy. And you can't, so my life was constantly defined by perfection and procrastination because you can't be perfect. There's going to be cracks. There's going to be flaws. And as soon as anyone sees those flaws, then I go down this hill into depression and procrastination. And this is where David is in this psalm. David is distressed. More than likely, when he's writing this psalm, it's during the time that he's been exiled from the kingdom because he's been an absentee father with his son, Absalom. And Absalom has taken over the kingdom. And now David is fleeing for his life in the wilderness, being chased by his own son, his own son wanting to kill him. He's living among the Philistines. They want to kill him. 
And then uh, after one particular fight, they come back and they find that all of their family members have been kidnapped. And all of David's mighty men turn to him and they say, let's kill him right now. You read this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, somewhere around verse 6, and, it, and all it says is that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so I wanted to know, how did David do that? How did he somehow in a life that was defined by fear, how did he overcome fear? And so then in verses, uh, the next set of verses, it says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Well, I wanted to know what that was. And again, being the comic geek that I am, another one of my comic influences is Green Lantern. And the thing about Green Lantern was he had the ability to overcome great fear. And so I would envision myself, I would make up Green Lantern rings and, and use my, the power of my imagination because I wanted to know how do I overcome great fear. And David gets ready to say this in these next verses. This is what he can be confident in. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, the one place that my dad would not go, the one place that my dad would give me permission to be, the one place where I could escape the abuse that I was dealing with was church. That's where my dad would not go. And so I related to that. I was like, yes, because this is the place. This is my sanctuary. This is the place where I can hide. But it wasn't just the building. It was the people. It was the people who loved me for me. When my dad wouldn't even go to my father's son banquets, it would be my mother or someone from the church that would be that father for me. They, these, these people who came around and loved me, they were the tabernacle. It wasn't the building. It was the people. It was the, it was the youth choir director who, knowing that something terrible was happening, would call and say, hey, uh, we have a special thing going on at the church. There was nothing special going on at the church. It was just to get me out of the house. And then she would drive me to San Diego and just take me away from a day so I could breathe and settle myself because I didn't know if I was going to make it one more day. That was the place. The, it was the people. And this song... And we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment, but this psalm is not about a place or a building. It's about loving people who love you for who you are. That is what I desired for every day. I couldn't wait to get to church because church is where I was going to be loved. And church was going to be where someone was going to say something to me that would give me a little more hope to keep going. And so that brings me because have you ever been in a funk? Yeah. 
you know, you, you've just been so deep in depression, you don't even remember where it started and how you got there. And if you could just figure out how you got there, then maybe you could, you could figure out how to find your way out. And that is what the psalm is. David is starting from a, a, a starting point of, I know, I know God will, will keep me in this, but how did I get here? What is it? And he says it in verse 10. He finally lands on it. When Father... Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Let's, let's, go, back, let's go back. I, I skipped over something. Uh, in, in verses 7 through 9, he's, uh, David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Now, I related to this. Because one of the things that was hard, it was hard for me to change my thinking. Because living in the church that I was in, they constantly talked about God as my heavenly father. But the only example I had of a father was my own dad. So I would always superimpose the, the lifestyle of my father and the ways of my father upon God. So I thought God was abusive. And so I was always living in fear of God. I was coming in the hope that God would love me. I mean, I've read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But did God really love Eric Johnson? Yes, God loved the world, but did he truly love me? And so when David is crying out, dear God, do not forsake me, this was the same thing that I was crying out because I didn't know what I could do to please God because I never knew what to do to please my own father. And so when, when David says these things, it resonates so much with me. And then it's in verse 10 that he says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. In the New Living Translation, it reads, just a little different. It says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And that's when I realized as I read David's story that David was no different than me. Both David and I had daddy issues. Because when you read the story of David, the prophet Samuel comes to David's father's house because Saul, the king Saul, has displeased God and, he, and now he's going after a replacement. And so Samuel is sent by God to uh, David's father's house. And this is almost like something out of Cinderella, where David's father has all the sons line up except for David. David is left somewhere out in the fields. And remember, uh, for the prophet to come to your house, this was a huge honor. You want everyone to experience this. And yet, David's father brought out every boy but David. And so Samuel is, is going by each kid. Well, not kid, because they were all men at the time. And David was just the youngest. And so he's going by each one. He says, is this the one? He, he looks great. No, this is not the one. What about this one? No, this is not the one. What about this one? This is not the one. And now there's no more sons left. So then he turns to David's father and he says, do you have any more sons? And he's like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's David out in the, in the yard. So he didn't even think enough of his own son to bring him to the prophet. And so it, it suddenly dawned on me that 
The giant in David's life was not Goliath. And actually, we know this because then when David shows up to the army and his brothers say, what are you doing here? Just, just go away. And, and David is like, what is it? What's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with this army? You're afraid of one man? I mean, God used me in the, in the fields to kill a lion and a bear, and this, this is a giant with no covenant. This is easy killing. So the giant in David's life was not Goliath. The giant in David's life was being abandoned by fathers because as soon as he slays Goliath and everybody celebrates and rejoices, King Saul immediately wants David in his house and his son Jonathan becomes David's best friend. And then Saul gives David his daughter, Michael. And so David is finally getting something that he did not have before, a family that loves him, a family that affirms him, a family that embraces him until all these battles start happening and all people can talk about is David. They start singing songs. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And now Saul has a different view of David. And when David comes to the the dinner table with the rest of the family, Saul is trying to kill him. And so he goes from a father who abandoned him to another father who's trying to kill him. And he is begging God, please don't be another untrustworthy father. And this is where I was. I'm begging God, please don't turn me over to the will of my enemies. And so it goes on to say in Psalm 27, teach me your way, O Lord. So now David has kind of, he's figured it out that the reason I'm in this funk is my daddy issue. So teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remember uh, after I was molested, I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to die. Um, and I was fortunate enough in a church to have a, a youth pastor. And at that time, that wasn't even something that anybody talked about. And my dad, you know, he was constantly telling me that I was a sissy anyway. So it wasn't like I was going to tell him. I was, I was under so much shame. But I just trusted my youth pastor. And I went to him. And he led me to that verse. He said, Eric, I know you want to die. I know that that your life has just been soul-crushing and this is just the worst of the worst. But according to this verse, I've got to ask you a question. Let's forget about next week. Let's forget about when, when you'll finally be able to leave the house. Can you just live one more day? Because according to this verse, if you just keep living, you'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. If you die, you don't get to see this. So could you just live one more day? Can you hold on to this promise? If you live one more day, you qualify to see God's goodness in the land of the living. 
And I said, okay, I promise. I'll, I'll live one more day. And then the next day, he would call me, Eric, how are you doing? I'm, I'm coming along. So, okay, can you live one more day? And he would do that for a couple of weeks. And then he would do it like once a week. And then he did it until I didn't need it anymore. Because I was starting to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And it goes on to say, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Now with that, I was still at home. I still didn't see light at the end of the tunnel. So I didn't know how to wait. So I'm going to show you a little clip right now. I'll cue this up. It's from the movie Minority Report. In the year 2054, crime is virtually eliminated in Washington, D.C., thanks to an elite law enforcing squad called Pre-Crime. They use three gifted humans called Precogs with special powers to see into the future and predict crimes beforehand. Tom Cruise's character heads Pre-Crime and believes the system is flawless until the day the Precogs predict that he will commit a murder himself in the next 36 hours on someone he doesn't even know. So in this scene, in order to prove his innocence before it's too late, he kidnaps the female precog played by Samantha Morton with the pre-crime the pre unit hot in pursuit after him. Let's roll the clip. Can you see the umbrella? Take it. man in a blue suit. He drops his briefcase. You, you see a woman in a brown dress. She knows your face. Turn in here. Stop here. Can you see the balloon man? Wait. Wait. What are we waiting for? Wait. 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 Take the east end. Everyone else, follow me. Let's go. <laughs> he knows. Don't go home. We've got eyes on. Be working with their... Drop some money. Can't you put it in my hand? 
May the Lord bless you. May God take This is what waiting is all about. When it says, wait on the Lord, when we read throughout this psalm, when David talks about that the one thing that he desires is to be in the sanctuary, when he talks about when father and mother forsakes me, the Lord will take care of me. When he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. He is talking about community. This is why we need community, because you can't make it on your own. You need the precog. You need the person who can see a little ways down the road. You need the person who can see what you can't see because of the blind spots that are in your life. You need the person that can see how valuable that you are and can come alongside of you and to tell you to grab the umbrella. And you don't know why you're grabbing it because you can't see how all the pieces come together. But the precog can see that. And so you need mentors. And you need the people who will become fathers and will become mothers. The Dover McCoys and my grandmother and the Tommy McMullins and, and the Dell Yarbroughs, the men who were there for me when I couldn't see it, when I couldn't see that I had any value. It's like crash landing in the middle of the desert and you're dying of thirst and a rescue team comes and they hand you water. And I was the one who pushed it all away and said, no, I don't want that. I want Dr. Pepper. They were giving me what I needed, and all I could see was what I didn't have. All I could see was my father and why he didn't love me, and I couldn't see that the answers that God was providing was right in front of me because my giant really wasn't forgiving my father. My giant really wasn't my father. My giant were the walls that I put up so high that I couldn't let help come to me. I love this church. It is a great community. There are great people here. And whatever you are dealing with and whatever you are going through and whatever you need courage for, you will find that in community. But when God brings that community to you, when God brings that person to you, will you let down your walls so that they can come in and be what you really need? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will, she will, they will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. I'm going to turn you back into your, your breakout rooms and answer this question. Where do you find that you need a mentor or community? And will you let them in?
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.